It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Tom Kerridge here on the BBC A Good Food Podcast. This week, I'm speaking to Johnny Godden of Flying Fish Seafoods in Cornwall. I've got to come straight up here. I've known Johnny for a long, long time, and we are good mates, but sadly. But we both speak exactly the same with the same accent. So anyone who's not a bumpkin, I'm really, really sorry. Um, on leaving school, Johnny joined a local seafood supplier and worked his way up the ranks from fish filleter to buyer, to sales manager. He then moved to Cornwall to be closer to the source of our beautiful produce, and Flying Fish was born. Johnny, welcome. Hello, mate. You all right? What an introduction. I don't know where to go from that. I'm sort of blushing. I've gone bright red, but uh, yeah, lovely to see you, Tom. I mean, I mean, there's very rises to stardom, but fish filleter to fish buyer <laughs> to sales manager. Yeah, <laughs> yeah what, what they don't, I think what it is really with that, we don't realise though, is completely by fluke. And uh, all it was is being kicked out of school at a very young age and just finding a job, basically. But um, yeah, but uh, it, it, it sounds a lot more glamorous than it was. I'm telling you that now. Well, I, I mean, I've been around fish markets. I've been to see fish wholesalers. I've seen how fillers work. Uh, I mean, it, it's a proper get your hands dirty kind of business, isn't it? It's, it's right in there at the heart. And so it's a grafting business, isn't it? Yeah, and especially when you're young, about 16 years old with a bunch of fish fillets, big men with big tattoos and it's called like, you know, you can hardly understand what they're saying and grunting at you a lot. Yeah, it uh, it really is. But it's it's quite a rewarding craft when you learn how to fillet a fish and take it off the bone. And How did you end up in it though? What happened? Where, where was you at school? What was school like? Where, where, how did you just end up working in fish? Because I'm from Gloucester. You're yeah. from just around the corner in Sirencester. Yeah, the like, posh part. Yeah, the posh part. You're from the posh part of Gloucester, <laughs> right? But essentially, we're... We are, you know, there is the River Seven that comes through, but there's no, it's not known for its docks or its fishing. So how did you end up in that area? Yeah, so it's it's about as far away from the ocean as you could possibly get. So what it what it was is I was at, I didn't do too well at school and I sort of unfortunately left school without any GCSEs and I left about a year early. 
And my brother at this point was working for a, a company that was based in Fairford, which is near Sirencester. And he was, it was a, a little fish factory that was there. And uh, he just, my mum, my mum just said to him, you know, get him up, get him out of the house. He needs to do something. So he took me over to this fish factory and sort of got me washing boxes. And it just went from there, really. You know, you enjoyed it. I loved went, it. This is it. I, this I did. Is it. I'm washing I did. boxes at a fish factory. It wasn't the book. It was. It was more seeing all the fish <laughs> and that. It was. It was amazing. It was kind of like when I first saw a salmon or I f- first saw a John Dory or a big turbot and stuff like that. I actually did. I did find it quite amazing at the time. And it, it's not that dissimilar to being in a kitchen. There's this sort of kind of na- like natural energy of getting things done. There's an amazing know? thing in there that happens when you're around about that age. I left school at 16 as well. I did. I actually managed to do my GCSEs. I stayed there. Exactly. I stayed there and did mine. It was I did, you know, I did, I did, I didn't get massive marks. But what happens is there's that point where you leave school, and you're in school, and you're all your mates and everybody that your friends or your colleagues or everybody, they're all the same age, right? So your your peer group is that they're just exactly the same. But then the moment you go into a work environment, particularly as a 16 year old, 17 year old, 18 year old, and it's full of people with all sorts of different experiences, different ages, different backgrounds, different, and all of a sudden you start, you realize that the world is a much bigger place than where yeah. you've been for the last 16, 17 yeah. years, and there's something that suddenly clicked for me that kitchen environment was like this is amazing yeah and then for you it must have been the same working in that space and seeing that graft and hard work and different attitudes and different types of people and then produce yeah produce was it really for me but it was being in that like that energy situation when you're trying to get things done you're filling up pace you're doing it to a high level and um no i i just loved it and so then learning a skill as well a knife skill putting that in your hand putting a knife in your hand and someone showing you how to do something yeah i like that and also so when you start to, as you're filleting it off and you become better at it and quicker at it and you get get further along, it's a bit like if you're a chef and you just get further along in the in the chain and you get, you know, become better and evolve as a as a person. And I really enjoyed that. And I I, I still enjoy filleting to this day. It's I find it quite therapeutic. I enjoy doing something with my hands. I don't get to do a huge amount of my hands these days, but I do find it quite amazing. And when you're surrounded by blokes, we've got this natural energy and there's always someone that's in charge. And I found that quite, quite amazing. And you know, and I just, I just, that bit of banter. yeah, I love that. And maybe a bit of discipline that you didn't have at school or a discipline that all of a sudden it started, you realizing that you had to kick in because there's a big scary bloke with tattoos and a knife stood next to you. You're not going to be <laughs> the, the, the mouthy little bloke that, yeah. you, you, that you were yeah. at school. Yeah. And they it's used some... to clip you around, they did clip me around the ear. There was no, there was, it really was like that. But no, I enjoyed that. Well, I was really there anybody it. there that like made you focus on your career at that age? Was there anybody that you connected to that thought, actually, I want to be like this guy, I'm going to listen to him? Yeah, my boss. My boss was like at the time. My my brother was my main person when it came to the quality side of it early on. But my boss sort of I wanted to be like him because I sort of admire what he did and how he sort of did it at the time. Um, What was his name? uh, (laughs) Tim Boyd, actually. So he him and I, I worked with him. I worked with him for 11 years from 15 till I was, I was 26 before I started flying fish. But he sort of I quite aspired to sort of be to, to to try and achieve something like he did, even though I did it in a slightly different way. But um, you know, he was it was it was quite amazing what he did to that point. But then, you know, I also had sort of people that I'd speak to when I started. You know, when I came out of the the filleting factory and I started speaking to chefs, was when I realised that actually about the quality side of it and uh, 
you know that that's how I sort of evolved into doing more of the produce that was that that was quality driven rather than just fish. So you sit there, it, you're working your way through the fish factory. You've gone from filleter to then kind of working out sales and uh, 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 and buying from the markets, the yeah. understanding of the market yeah. space and seasons and, and se- uh, seasonality. Seasonality. People, people have no come, clue about it. We'll come on to that and seasonality of fish and how and, and how it absolutely changes throughout the year. But then. You went, okay, so you're learning about season, you're learning about different fish, you're learning about the infrastructure, and then you're looking at the business as a bigger thing. But then you mentioned there working with kitchens and chefs and that end result. So not only then was it an understanding, I suppose, of the product that comes in, but what happens to the product when you sell it the other side? That was that's, that was a game changer for me. That really was. So I used to deal with this, I still deal with this chef now called Marcus Ashenford, Gus Ashenford. I don't know if you remember, you went to his restaurant, it's called Five North Street. Yeah, in Gus. Yeah, Gus, yeah. amazing chef. I think he's one of the youngest guys to get a Michelin star. He's I, not that young anymore though. He no, he's, <laughs> he's older than you, isn't he? I, he is, yeah. I think he's like 55. But anyway, so he, when I started dealing with him, I was like 19 years old. And, you know, at that point, I didn't really know what Michelin star, you know, was at that, at that point. And then I went to eat at his restaurant and we sort of became friends. And when you see not only the produce that you're buying from a market, which actually is a very, it's not a very kind of appetizing place to be. It's kind of like pretty grim, really. But when you see this beautiful produce that goes from a market into a kitchen, and then what they do with it and what it looks like when you see it on a plate, that's a game changer. So when it's you're like, in a dining room and a beautiful, <laughs> loved, so Gus has got a fantastic, lovely little restaurant. It's well looked after. It's got heart and soul and, and, and it's beautiful. It's mm. a lovely space. And, and, and it, it, it's, it's a posh neighborhood restaurant. It's it probably is. the best way to describe it. That is it, absolutely, it? yeah. Yeah. And you go, actually, this is lovely. And there's, uh, th- that is, and you see a piece of red mullet or yeah. a beautiful, lovely, crispy skin bit of sea bass or something that's on this wonderful China plate that's cost 120 quid and whatever. Yeah. Like all that. And then all of a sudden, all these little bits that, that, that are, this pivotal points of luxury that send it to the guest, your relationship with that piece of fish then is very different to your relationship to it where you saw it in the yeah, market 100%. yesterday morning at 4.30 a.m. as some blokes sh- dragging this kind of box of fish and uh, covered in ice, shouting at you and swearing at you to tell yeah. you get out of the way and then arguing about a price about yeah, it. For 50p here Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're looking, at, you're looking at a product in a box yeah. at 4.30 a.m. in the freezing cold to then actually in this luxurious state that's been filleted beautifully, cooked beautifully and is picture perfect on a plate. Yeah. Those did that then suddenly go, actually this is this, this is where it's at. This is where it's at. This, this is, is where it's at. How I want to get on. Yeah. This is the industry that I want to be in. Now talk to me about seasonality as well then because we briefly touched on it earlier but you talked about there you said you said Dave Turbo or uh, beautiful John Dory you've mentioned or even lobsters. How does that vary throughout the year? Because I think people in this country we just just think that fish, fish, you get it all the time of the year, the sea's there, fish, you know, that's just when it is. You go out catching it. I mean, there is a reason why it's called fishing and not catching as well. I've yeah. learned that. I've been on a number of fishing trips and we haven't caught anything. That's why it's called fishing. But like, <laughs> <laughs> it's one of the best quotes where we went, we did a fishing trip together and it, it was uh, the fisherman said, well, we, haven't caught, we haven't caught anything yet. We've been yeah. out here three hours and he turned to me and he just goes, that's why it's called fishing, <laughs> not catching. Like, otherwise you'd yeah. go out catching, wouldn't we? But I mean, at, this, <laughs> at this point, one of Tom's chefs is actually 
actually hurling up over the side, oh, which is absolutely fantastic. <laughs> you know, so. We did a big chef trip. It, yeah. We took all our head chefs out there. One of them hasn't got, didn't have his sea legs with him. Let's be that. That's yeah, we're, the, not, we're not going to mention his name, are no, we? No, that was no. probably the, the politest way of putting it, Tom DeKaiser. Yeah, Tom DeKaiser. Yeah, you really got to get some hand sea flourish. legs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway. Uh, <laughs> no, so, so, so what grows together sort of goes together, okay? So how I look at it is when you look at the different species as they come into season, so let's go, go into spring, asparagus starts, peas starts, wild garlic starts, all those things. But, lend why, them, so, but why does the fish start? Because in the sea, the same? No, 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 the the, the same. no, no. So as you get into the spring, the temperature's warmer. Now, if you use lobsters as a, as a scenario, they start, lobsters are in season from April to the end of the summer. The temperature warms up, they come inshore. And that's how we catch them. But the okay. sea doesn't get that much warmer. It's about percent. Come on, come it, it, on come, No, it, it does. And it's actually getting more, it's actually getting warmer now. That's why we're getting, so going a bit off piece. So basically at the moment, our sea temperature is warmer. That's why we're attracting, that you actually catch tuna now off the coast of Cornwall, which would never used to have happened, you know, because it was too cold for tuna, okay? You don't get as much cod in Cornwall because the sea temperature in Scotland is colder. So Cornwall does, the temperature does rise. North Sea cod is normally the best as well. It's, yeah, like it. Colder. Cold, cold cod is where it's at. You know, you get the ones that come to Cornwall, they never get very big. They're quite small. Depends on the cycle. Season's not only about what's available, it's about what, how the fish is at that point. So I'll use place as an example, which you love, okay? Place is at its best in um, June, July, August, September. Now, in October, November, it rose up, it spawns, so the actual flesh rose is all, up, it rose up, up as in it's becoming to produce eggs to ready to 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 lay eggs to to uh, to repopulate. Now, once you get a piece of place in in November, it's not very good to eat. It's just not. It's all cotton woolly. It's thin. It's not very good. But when you so then what happens is you as you're getting into the winter months, lemon soles come in season. Okay, they're not rose. They're nice and fat and plump. They start rowing up in March. So it's kind of the seasons isn't just about what's there. It's the condition of the fish before you catch it. So it's okay. not just about temperature of the sea. It's also about the, the seasonality in terms of rowing and laying eggs Absolutely. and the way that the fish work. And the natural cycle. Okay, so if you get, for instance, you've got like the natural cycle around the ocean. Okay, so anchovies come first, then the sardines, then the mackerel, and then the sea bass. That's why you get sea bass in autumn because they're following the... The anchovies in that round, they're following the soup food source. So, you know, as soon as you see an anchovy or a sardine, the wild sea bass is on its way because it's following the food. That's that's how it sort of works. There's loads, there's loads and loads of different things that you can you go into it, but it's quite an in-depth, complex thing. And I try and explain this to my chefs all the time. And I'm quite lucky I deal with real professional chefs, but at times I may say to them, like, I haven't got this because it's not in season. They go, why? And I'll say, well, you, do you have strawberries on in January? And they'll go, no. I'll go, well, you know, what the hell are you using native lobsters for then? Because they're not in season. They're not plentiful. And they're not at their best. But if you can get, you know, when you do get a piece of fish that is perfectly in season, that's perfectly fat and it's super fresh, there's nothing better really. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Priceline. Life is a highway. 
and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. When Sweet Tarts dared to combine sweet and tart, they thought, why stop there? Why not create other exciting and unexpected combinations, like rainbows and ropes, or fruity and gummy, or chewy and more chewy? That's why they created fun treats like Sweet Tarts Twisted Rainbow Ropes, Gummies Fruity Splits, and Chewy Fusions. When you dare to combine, it's sure to blow your mind. Sweet Tarts. Dare to combine. Visit SweetTartsCandy.com to shop now. It's amazing. I love the fact the seasonality not only stretches from the land, it goes into the sea as well. And that does make a difference. You're right. You know, you yeah. talk about um, the, the different fishes and the different, fr- the, the way that it connects with, whether it's peas or asparagus or whatever. Yeah. Like the and way it does go together. They, they do go together. And, and, as, and as you're coming out, it's really weird because halibut and monkfish, which you get in autumn and winter, goes well with root vegetables. It, it, it does go well. So it's like, it's like um, you know, monkfish, is, for example, is like quite a meaty fish, as you know. And it does go with sort of heartier, heartier dishes. But when if you get like a, a piece of turbot that's quite delicate, it does lend itself well with, you know, peas and asparagus and stuff. So, I love the fact that you're so into your food now, because I can only imagine <laughs> growing up. But like, we, we, same, similar background, same sort of area. Yeah. Mine was potato waffles yeah uh baked beans that tin tinned ravioli minced beef I, ravioli i still love that crispy though. pancakes <laughs> like those like that was childhood food growing yeah. up what was yours like so mine was a weird one actually my mum was vegetarian so i'm from a really big family okay so and, and my mum was a vegetarian so she had to cook a lot of you know as, as she was a single mum but as, as, as your mum was and so she had to cook uh, on a budget so, but everything was quite whole. So she'd cook like big pies or big bowls of pasta and stuff like that. But it was the case of basically what was there. And it was more like feeding time at the zoo, really. Like we're all like piling in and big bowls of things and stuff. But um, I, food was always quite a big part of our lives growing up. It was like meal times were quite a big thing. And we used to, you know, be together and stuff like that. But um, yeah, it's, it's funny because being brought up as a vegetarian, but how much I love meat and how much I love fish, and how much I love all, like, offal and stuff like that. It's really random, you know. Well, who was um, it, do you think, then, that encouraged your love of food and drink? Is it Was it not until that you got into the industry itself, or does a lot of that come from your mum or sitting down and with the family? Yeah, I think I think we're always taught about, like, it wasn't ever like what like it is now with us, like with my with my kids. It's more, it was more like it was it was feeding rather than, like, the passion. The, the passion for me came when I first thought, when I first saw a, a, something that I had supplied to a chef that they had done something with and being blown away, like, how could that become this? You know, that was when it really hit home for me. And, you know, just, you know, and, 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 and I've always found the sort of passion of the seasonality and what's in season and how things are. I've always found that intriguing and very natural. I've always found it quite a natural thing. But yeah, I mean, it's just, I've always loved food. I've always loved eating. I quite like I quite like chefs as well, like hanging out with chefs. I like chatting to them. They make me laugh. We all sort of fell into something. And it's also, we've got this kind of like same sort of, uh, same sort of personalities, banter, as you know, like, and, and, but the one thing we, I, especially have in common with my chefs and my customers that I speak to is the love of food and the, and the passion of the industry and what we try, try and do. And, uh, that has always been 
quite important. So what so is your love of food? What is your favorite dish then? What is the food? What is your go-to? So, so I, I have this kind of like bit of a fight between my wife does this like Syrian green chicken thing with like this beetroot dip. That, that's up there. But hands down, I think the one I would look forward to and choose over most things is fish and chips. I mean, it's, it's just to be it honest, it's such it a hard me. thing to beat. I mean, yeah. particularly if you're a fish supplier, there's no way you can say anything else, is there? But yeah. what, what is it about fish and chips that you love? What what kind of memories does it, it evoke? So I don't don't remember the first time I had it, but I do remember it always being around, if you know what I mean. I always remember from an early age, like sort of someone coming in with a bag and it had like boxes in or this time paper. You'd then get your your bag, you open it up, steam would come up. And it would sometimes be a bit soggy depending on how long they're yeah, taken or whatever. proper fish and chips. Has to be you don't crispy. mean like posh fish and chips like I well, do, do you? Yeah. No, you're, not, not you're not talking about that, are you? No. You're talking about soggy, soggy batter, chips so, that have got so, covered oh. in malt vinegar that are stuck to the paper. But it's but there's something quite magical about that. And I used to quite like it when you'd get cheap, really cheap white bread and you'd get one slice. It had like thick bits of, you know, like margarine and you'd like fold it over and it all melt and it like stick together and you eat it. And I, I don't know why, but I like that. I, I, honestly, I, I love that. I love saying that. that. <laughs> I'm so lucky my that my water. exactly. It I'm so me... lucky that in this world of food, you yeah. can. I, I've eaten so many different places. I've been all over the world and and interview and talk to so many different people about different foods. But when you talk about it, you go, oh, "Yeah, that's amazing. That yeah. sounds delicious." And it could be the most wonderfully eclectic, extravagant world cuisine. Yeah. But you're there talking about cheap bit of bread yeah. with, with rubbish butter on it soggy some chips. chips some soggy chips and you squeeze it together and the butter melts yeah, a little bit I and then that. like stick together dip it in red sauce but not even like the most expensive brand red sauce like cheap fake cheap, red yeah. sauce and, and you go but honestly it's magical isn't it because yeah. you think of that as a child of memory I love it you think of it you think of all yeah. those sort of things that, but, and I love it and it's I mean fish and chips is yeah. absolutely magical is there a t- you still eat that now obviously you live in Cornwall you must yeah. eat fish and chips all the time well, I try and watch my weight a little bit. So um, not all the time, but we try and have it probably at least every other week. And we've got a really good one in our town that we go to, but it's kind of like their their bread and butter is really posh. So you can't, it's not good for fish and chips. It has to be cheap white bread. Oh, they've, so you they've, take gone, home, that, they've gone down and, a posh tower. Yeah, really, and I, do, you know I, do you know what I say to them as well? As I say, I want my fish in a separate box to my my chips, right? And I and I don't want salt and vinegar. I rush home as quickly as I can. So when you open the box, it is still quite crunchy. And my wife has weight in there, sliced white bread with butter. And the first thing I do before I even go into the fish, salt and vinegar, loads and loads of salt and vinegar. And then I wrap that sort of chip butty. Like it has to be one slice, not two rolled over squashed and eating it and that for me is like heaven I love that it's amazing and the other thing I've really got into lately is the mushy peas where I put loads of vinegar and, and, and pepper in the mushy peas and then you sort of dip that in it and I think for me I I, I can't find anything that beats that to right, be honest right, even your even your turbot and chips I mean that takes a bit of beating no you know? I gotta be honest that does sound like is, incredible yeah. so uh, I mean, my mouth's actually watering oh, I was gonna ask really you is there, is there any <laughs> variations on it is there no. anything you could no. do with the cat is that is more, less is more. Less. <laughs> People mess around with it all the time and you see like as well. And, like, and what I really drives me mad as well is when you do it and they sort of, they put like big chunks of, of fish and it shouldn't be like that because when you go into the fish, it's sort of not quite done. It needs to be relatively thin. Um, and, you know, and, and that's sort of like, that's where it's at for me. But no, you people try and mess around with it, put like all sorts of things in it. And don't get me wrong, I've got quite a varied taste in food. But when it comes to that, for me, 
it brings me back to when I was young and like you say, a bit of red ketchup and and all that. And that that for me is where it's at, to be honest. There's something special about that fish and chips and sat on a cold beach on a winter's day, like mm. a wind blowing. And they, they, I, I absolutely love it. It's something that you associate together. Yeah, I can't, your, your choice of fish and chips there is amazing. But what about things like sun, Sunday lunch? What about Sunday? Is that something that's big in your house, your family? Yeah. It is actually. So we, we used to do, my, my, lot, my lot, my family called it, we have a mummy roast and a daddy roast, right? So the, the mummy roast is a bunch of chicken in the oven, bung some potatoes in, some peas out of the, out of the freezer or whatever, bista gravy, which I, I love. Um, but then I then, if I cook, I like, right, everyone out of the kitchen, I'm taking like two days making a gravy, I'll make stock. It's just a way, it's like, I get really into it. Like I'll, Source a really nice piece of beef and or, or whatever, but um, I even though I do like my roast, I do prefer my wife's one to be honest. Because it's quite nice. It's quite nice not having to do it. Is that, you know? Yeah, but who does the washing up? That's yeah, the question. I always mate. do the washing up. That's the thing. Yeah. And then listen, before I, I, I've got some quick fire questions for you, but before I get on to that, how hard? Now I've been quite lucky, right? Because my world of food and one of the things I always say to myself if I hadn't been a chef I'd have loved to have been a fisherman I love we spoke about that yeah I absolutely love it I'm all right with the sea legs I'm all right with getting out there I like the hard work I like the graft I like the I like the being on the boat but how difficult is that world of being a fisherman because like now I've been very lucky I've been on a fishing trip with you quite a few times and lots of different people and I went I was very fortunate I went to um I went to the Caribbean recently on holiday and I went with another chef, uh, another two Michelin star chef. And we were all like that. And we did a big fishing and we left uh, port 6.30 in the morning and the waves were really bad. The sea was really choppy. Literally five minutes out, he was throwing up over the side and he was done for five hours, right? Sat on a boat, couldn't move. And in that yeah. time, we caught two barracudas and one woo-woo, right? Yeah, yeah. Big, like, it was quite, it was a good day. They're quite ferocious at barracudas. Oh my God, they're frightening. They? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. the woo-woos were massive. It was a massive one. They swim at 60 mile an hour, apparently. Yeah, they were unbelievable. Right? But we caught, but we were very lucky to catch that. But that was five hours on a, on a day and you got three fish. Yeah. And you take those three fish to the market and you might have made not very much money. Not much, yeah. So by the time you've bought a boat, by the time you paid staff yeah. to be on it, by the time you've paid for the fuel and everything else, and you're going out there, it's not like you're harvesting it or you're growing it. It's not like crops in a farm and it's not like rearing cattle. You're going out and trying to catch something wild. Now, how difficult is that for fishermen and even more so fishermen in the, uh, on w- working out in the British Isles? It's brutal. It is brutal. And, you know, people, you know, I... I'm being. I'm, I get the luxury of two, two industries. I'm in the catering industry, but I'm also in the fishing industry. Okay, so I get the luxury of both. And mine actually is. I get the end result, which is I get to deal with like you know amazing customers that produce this amazing food. But it's it. People have this romantic kind of feeling about fish. They imagine this little fishing beak boat going out and. You know, a bloke coming in with a couple of turbots and that, or whatever, and a very and small then selling amount. them for five hundred quid. <laughs> <laughs> if, if, but it, it, it actually, it, they're out for a long time, right? It's brutally hard, and they don't get a huge amount of reward. You know, they they really don't, and they do, they you know they're doing it because it's in the you know it's in you know I'm from Cornwall, obviously, you know, and and there's not a great deal else to do, and it's in their blood. But actually, when you look at it and look how hard and how long they're out for, you know, you when you say like a day. And you think, oh, well, they're only out for two. We just said earlier on, we're out for two days. 
still two days on a boat away from your house, right? <laughs> yeah. not, not sleeping. Not kids for two days. Yeah. You're not sleeping. Pulling those nets in. They've got arms, big, strong arms. You never mess with a fisherman. No. Like, you never mess with a fisherman. They're strong, you know. So it is hard. You know, it's an amazing thing to be into and it's an amazing thing to be part of, but they have got a tough time. And that's why I think, you know, when people are looking to... You know, when they are looking at fish and stuff and the industry, they need to sort of have one one eye on what they've done because it is amazing. But I tell you now, when I came back from that fishing trip, the other two-star chef got off the boat and he said, I am never, ever going to argue about fish prices ever again. I'm going to hold him to that. I'm never, ever going to push back on fish prices, <laughs> never, ever again, because he had the roughest time and, he, and, he, and then he saw how much we caught, which was very little, but yeah. actually the fisherman said, yeah, it was a good day today. Yeah. And I think all of those real, because he'd never been fishing before. And I think the yeah. realization, the clicking in of how difficult it is, how hard everyone has to work, the chances of it, it don't, you don't just drop a line and pick. No. It's not, it's, yeah. it's not like get, get, hooking a duck at a, a fairground, yeah, is it? Yeah, it's, it's like, it's brutal. Yeah. It's you know. massive, and the realization of it is pretty difficult. So yeah, yeah. so uh, you might know who he is, and if you do know who he is, yeah, you can hold him to that because yeah, yeah he said he's never going to argue with fish prices again. I'm going to write writing. Yeah, <laughs> a couple of quick fire questions. Cookery—that's something that you do at home. What's your favorite, most thumbed cookery book? Uh, Prodigy uh, Madral Jaffrey's uh, Curry Bible, I think. Oh, I love I that. I love that. There's this, great have, you, have, you, have you had that uh, chicken, chicken she does, the whole chicken? No. It's amazing, honestly. Is it? It's, oh, it's unbelievable. So, yeah, so you sort of like all the spices and that, and you marinate the chicken without the skin, like whole. So then you put like, it's a bit like a, it's like nicer than a tandoori. And then you, um, you cover it in tinfoil and you cook it till it's cooked. Then you take the tinfoil off and get it all crispy. Oh. That, and her, that is the, the doll in there and stuff. That's my, that's my go-to cookbook. That's the go-to cookbook. I love that. What's your favorite pub? All right, so we're asking that because uh, our sister magazine, the Olive, Olive Magazine, is running Love Your Local, and it's a campaign to support pubs. Um, so we've got all the information for it there. It's olivemagazine.com. But listen, what is your favourite pub, mate? The, my favourite pub to go to for us locally where we choose to go for the roast is the Mariners in Rock. Oh, what a pub. It's amazing. amazing. Is it another good Their fish and chips is really good as well, actually. Yeah, that's Paulie Ainsworth, the superstar legend, yeah. and that pub is brilliant. Amazing. Right? Like, incredible views over Rock Harbour. It's yeah. a, it's the, I mean, there couldn't probably be anywhere better to eat fish and chips, could there? No, it's I mean, it's posh fish and chips. Like, it's in a pub, posh fish and chips, but you're sat yeah. there overlooking Rock, looking uh, across the estuary into Padstow. It it's a amazing. beautiful space. It, it is amazing. Amazing. Yeah, it is. Right, tell us something that's in your fridge, always there. Eggs. Eggs? Yeah, Burford Brown eggs. Love that. Omelettes? Yeah, uh, just whatever, whatever the mood takes me. I just, I don't know, just if they're always there, you, if, there's, if you've got eggs, you've got something to eat, in my opinion. I, I just love it. Fried eggs, poached eggs, omelettes, whatever. It's my sort of, it, they're always there. Go-to, so, eggs. Yeah. Biggest cooking disaster? Try to do the lobster and leek terrine from White Heat. Well, that was a nightmare. I mean, the boys working at Harvest couldn't do that, let, yeah. alone, let alone a bumpkin fish I, supplier. What were you up, doing attempting that? Yeah, I don't know. But I ended up taking on lobster out and just mixing it with mayonnaise and had a lobster cocktail. But, uh, 
<laughs> I don't think Marco would have won three stars yeah. doing that. I don't know how he does it. I, I'm sure. I'm sure the recipes aren't right. Yeah. It's uh, and you make like an oil, vin- like a water vinaigrette with it, don't you? Are and you accusing Marco's of... recipes of not being? Right? I, 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 I'm pretty sure I followed it quite right. It didn't work. It well, Johnny, I got another and... surprise guest for you. Is Marco Pierre White? <laughs> yeah, you can speak yeah, yeah. to him. <laughs> that, that, that would that would go down really badly. Yeah. But no, that was it. Didn't go down well, and uh, yeah, never tried it again. Never have been brave enough, really. Okay, talking about trying what about food you've never tried um i've tried most things um have you had that fermented shark fin? no i haven't ha- i've had shark fin soup which I, I have tried that but no i've had never had the fermented because they do in ice you've had it yeah, I've had yeah. It. Wait, was wait, it skate was it no it's, it's herrings where they ferment them in the tins warp like there's so yeah. there's so there's so and bad. you have to have have a shot of alcohol with it at the same time yeah and you're you? supposed yeah. to have a little bit and you spread it on toast and you open the tin yeah. in a bucket of water because it smells so bad you have to open it submerged in yeah. water but it was like nah alright you've never tried that and no. I'll be honest with you I wouldn't bother I, mate no, I, no I've never tried make, that makes your eyes water and then throw up anyway um, uh, guilty pleasure. What's your guilty pleasure? Probably Donna meat and chips, I think. Oh, hello. Yeah, do you, and when, when they do it, you get like half crispy chips, half Donna meat. Yeah. And then you have... You stick you that know, in the pit of bread? Uh, no, no pit of bread. Or no what? pit of bread. Just so, swerve in the carbs. Swerve, swerve. No, it wasn't about... Oh, yeah, I was going to say, meat. swerve the pit of bread, but <laughs> yeah. I'll have chips. No, no, it wasn't about carbs. It's just nice. So you get, they do, so half chips, half Donna meat, and then you get the chilli sauce in a separate tub so you can dip it in, not pour it over. Quite like that, to be honest. That um, sounds amazing. It is, it is really nice. And you sort of get the Donna meat and you sort of wrap it around the chips. So you have this crispy chip with that. So, but yeah, yeah, Donna meat and chips. I'll tell you delicious. what, I, for, for BBC Good Food <laughs> podcast, with conversations about food that we've been going on about, actually the two highlights have been cheap bread with, <laughs> with rubbish butter uh, wrapped around some chips from the takeaway and Donna meat and chips. I mean... <laughs> Chips, <laughs> there yeah. we go. That's the level we've hit today. Look, what what um uh, what makes you most optimistic about 2023, mate? I just I just do people, there's so much doom and gloom, but I do feel that if everybody gets their head down, looks after each other, it's gonna be fine. That's perfect. What a way to look after and look after your fishermen as well. That's that look after the 100%. fishermen. But Johnny, thanks ever so much for chatting to me today. And I can't wait to hear your recipe for fish and chips. Um, everybody else, thank you so much for listening. And don't forget, you can listen to the bonus cook-along recipe. Uh, for more details, see bbcgoodfood.com forward slash podcast. Thank you ever so much, Johnny Godden. You soon the start. And thanks to everybody else. See you next time. Bye. 